what a great job, choir. Thank you for doing that. Randy, Brother John, thank you for putting that together. And uh, just bless my soul. It was so good to see so many of your faces there and to hear your voices and to uh, just rejoice uh, with you in the cross. What a blessing. And uh, man, well done. Well done. Well, we want to take our Bibles this morning um, and go to the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, it is my suspicion that many are taking this text as their Mother's Day text and have done so on multitudes of occasions throughout history of this celebration. And uh, we learned yesterday uh, that it was in the 1920s that Mother's Day became an official holiday. And, and since then, it's become a day where families gather in church with mom and turn their attention back to these things. And uh, there tends to be somewhat of an um, expectation, I think, of pastors to preach or to give a talk on the subject of mothers. Um, I'll be honest with you, these are not my strong suits. I don't in, really look forward to trying to find a topic like this and, and put my head around it. And I think I'm a little intimidated by this because I don't know how you really can encapsulate uh, what a mother is on a Sunday morning, uh, especially when you only get one Sunday to do it. Uh, and so, But I hope this morning to offer some encouragement to you, uh, to our mothers this morning, to just be a, maybe a challenge to you briefly, uh, an encouragement to you uh, broadly, and maybe um, a reminder to us all uh, this morning as well. Uh, we're going to read our scripture in just a moment. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll read the first 20 verses there. Uh, before we re read, I just was thinking about mothers, and just as we think about mothers, the, the thoughts of the greatest influence in the life of a person would be the mother. Uh, that impact that a mother has. Now, it's not universal. As we've pointed out earlier, there are times that mothers abandon and mothers fail in their responsibilities. And even sometimes where mothers are lost early on to death. And yet, there's still a lingering understanding of those that have been mothers and have mothers of the impact that is there, in spite of the fact that sometimes it's not the case. We call them many names. And I'm always warm to hear my children call their mom's name um, and to hear what they have to say. Sometimes those names are not called out of affection. They're called out of uh, panic, um, and they're called out of need, and they scream it out from the other room, and you're like, oh my goodness, what's gone wrong now? Um, and it's amazing to me how that a mother knows when her name's being called and it's for real and when it's not for real, um, and how they have that figured out. When a child is abandoned by this mother, we are reminded in Psalms 27 that it is the Lord that takes us up and is our strength. I don't know if you notice this or not, but moms and dads are quite different, um, and there's a big difference there. We'll not go into all those differences, but let's just say that all of us dads this morning are thankful that there are mothers in the home that we're rearing our children with, those of us that have the privilege of doing that. We call for mom when we're sick, and when we're tired, when we're discouraged, or brokenhearted, even after marriage when there's arguments and bad days and good days and lonely days. We celebrate with them on the days of our victories and we weep with them on the days of our defeats. Now, I don't think there could be a more comforting word in my mind and from my personal experience, having been given a godly mother to rear me and then been giving a wife who was a godly mother to my children, I cannot think of a more comforting word than the word mother. It's just mom. It's a place to go and to be safe. 
moms are troopers, willing to have a child in the first place is something beyond my comprehension. The diapers they deal with, the throw up, the spills, the muddy kids running in and out of the house, the cuts and the scrapes and the gashes, the fear of seeing your kid on top of a roof throwing a football at a balloon with a nail taped to it and wondering what in the world have I reared and that's an actual illustration for my wife. Moms are multitaskers in a way that I don't think us men can ever comprehend. I can see a mom doing five, six things at one time and we testified of that yesterday, holding down a job and homeschooling kids and doing all that has to do and I can picture my mind in my mind right now my mom on the phone with not a cell phone. I'm talking about one of those phones that had the 30-foot-long cord that drug from the kitchen, you know, and she's on the phone with a 30-foot-long cord. She's cooking four things on the stove and dealing with kids and helping with homework, and all of that's happening just seamlessly, and it's just going right along, you know. To me, it seems like chaos, but they're able to do it all. They wear many hats, the janitor, the laundry pro, the math teacher, the spelling expert, the cook, the chauffeur, the English teacher, the doctor, the counselor, the decorator, the nurse, the teacher, the shopper, the inventory technician, screen screener of all TV shows. How many times have you had to walk in and say, hey, what are you watching? Why are you watching that? Editors of book reports, motivational speaker, the wardrobe consultant for both children and dad, and many, many, many more things that are encompassed in the term mother. You know, when we think of this, I think it's important to understand also where God puts mothers in Scripture. Just as introduction this morning before we get to Samuel, um, just doing a very cursory search of the word mother, the first time the word mother is used in the Bible is in the book of Genesis in chapter 2. And the Bible says father and mother there together, and he puts them in unison, and that's the way God intended it to be. Uh, But the word that precedes that, the action word that precedes it, is leave. And I thought, what? A sobering thought, and yea, a sobering responsibility. Because every mother is aware that those children that you're rearing will one day leave. And that is just a short-term mission that you've been given. You know, as I thought about that, mothers were given a role to do this, to train and to release. And really what we see is the original disciple-maker. Is the home, the father and mother or to rear up those children so that they can leave and go do the same. And what a role it is, not to be forgotten, not to be unloved, not to be left alone, but that there is an understanding that in the training and in the preparation that a mother pours into her children, she is teaching them to leave. And it is a selfless and sometimes, at times, a thankless job. But we're so thankful for our mothers this morning. We're going to take a look in the scripture this morning and see a mother that I believe God used in a unique way, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. If you found your place there in 1 Samuel, I'd like for you to read with me the first 20 verses. If you'd like to stand, you may do so in honor of the word of God. Verse number one, now there was a certain man of Ramoth Zipham of Mount Ephraim of the name of Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf. He had two wives, and the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up out of his city yearly to worship 
and to sacrifice from the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Benaiah his wife and to her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, she went up to the house of the Lord. So she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? And Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. And now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. She vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on my affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunken neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. She said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. They rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this text is rich and far more than we could cover this morning in the short time we have. But Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us in a small way this morning to encourage our mothers to strengthen them, to be, um, just to give them a cheer this morning for all they endure. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to do that from your word today, and that, Lord, you'd be honored in what is said and done. And in the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. We come to the book of 1 Samuel, and 1 Samuel being a, um, a book of historical events, some have called it the first book of the Kings. The setting is at the end of the time of Judges that we come at. The nation is currently, as we've read this morning, in a time of anarchy. The priesthood is filled with corruption. Those that judge Israel are leading them from place to place and from God to God. And the Bible says, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's interesting to me that we describe a nation at this time in human history that should have known better and yet has walked away from the things of God, has turned their back on the morality that God had laid down for them. And no doubt we could parallel many nations, not the least of which is our own, that have done just that. 
And as we approach this text, we find um, this story unfolding, and it is the introduction to the next six books, which is 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, where we see king after king coming to the power, and we see nations rising and falling, and we see uh, intrigue and deception and battles and giants killed and all of the things that unfold, and yet God begins it all with the story of a young woman. And that's where he centers his focus in this text. I find great comfort that the story does not center around great warriors or some powerful leader, but rather we begin with this, what would have been considered a lowly, childless woman. She was considered less than fit by her culture, by her rivals, and yea, even by her own thinking. She felt underprivileged, underappreciated, underqualified to do what she was going to be called to do. She felt the weight of her weakness that rested on her. I'm reminded also of a story in the book of Ruth, the chapters preceding this, as Naomi in the book of Ruth, she takes her weakness to the Lord. And just like Naomi had done, and just like uh, now Hannah is doing, they take their weakness to the Lord. We see again in this story, as we see over and over in Scripture, that weakness becomes strength, that barrenness becomes blessing, that brokenness becomes beautiful. So as we look and we consider where this story will unfold, I want to draw your pictures in mind to David standing before Goliath and Saul on the Mount Gilboa. And I want you to draw the pictures in your mind of David uh, restoring the, the ark back to the people of God. And I want you to see all of these battles unfolding in your mind and picture David's mighty men. And yet it doesn't start with that. It starts with this young lady. So as we think through the story and the mighty men and the powerful kings that will rise after this, the man of God and the, and the men of evil, I want to remember that it starts with a seemingly insignificant young woman who could not bear children. It was the small, it was the insignificant, it was the overlooked that God uses to spark a revival in this nation. And when we sit, consider this, and this comes into view, I think what it should do is remind us what a great God we have and how important is the role of a godly mother. I just want to give you a couple of observations about Hannah this morning, and then if I could, I'd like to stop and just give you maybe some counsel this morning to our mothers and those who have mothers. First off, her patience. Her patience and barrenness was tested. You know, when we find ourselves in moments of uh, circumstances that aren't unfolding like we want them to unfold, it's easy for us to be frustrated with those circumstances and angry with those circumstances, and yet we continue to endure them. She not only had to be patient in the face of her own barrenness, but in the sin and brokenness of the other woman. Now, what we find here is we find something that is descriptive of what is going on, but it is not prescriptive of what God expects. Elkanah had two wives, and both of these women uh, married to Elkanah now, uh, Hannah not able to have children and being mocked and ridiculed by the other wife. The mockery for not having children must have cut her very deep. 
And yet, I would remind us all that children are a gift from the Lord, not from superior biology. And it was not something that God had chosen to give Hannah at this point. And Hannah was learning to rest in the sovereignty and the providence of God. You see, when we fail to see Christ as a source, we can become proud or defeated over what we cannot control. It is of the hand of God, and God is able. It is God that gives and God that takes away. And so her patience is on display here. Her struggle with it. She was not perfect in patience. But what did she do with her impatience? She took it in prayer to the Lord. I want you to see her meekness. Resting in God for his purpose and his plan. She turns to the Lord when her husband is speaking, when her rivals are speaking, when her accusers, even Eli, is speaking. Didn't point out the sins of Eli's son. She doesn't point out the wrong of her husband, but she simply takes it to the Lord. We see her faith. You know what you turn to in the moment of grief, what you run to in the moment of pain reveals what you truly trust. And here Hannah runs to the Lord. I, I, I read these verses, and I, and I hope that though we can't go through each of these, in verse number 10, it stands off the page at me, and she said this, and she was in bitterness of soul. She was in bitterness of soul, and how many of us could say, yes, I've been in bitterness of soul, when the next words here in verse number 10, and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And that's where she took her bitterness of soul. You know, as we consider the role of mothers this morning, we consider the role of Hannah in the midst of this confused and wicked generation that she steps onto the scene with, and this is all that is surround her. She doesn't have much to work with. The world has been evil and will continue to be evil, and yet God still calls mothers and fathers to rear up their children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, and they say this, man's solutions never have worked and never will work. Every time man comes in and tries to fix what is broken and they leave God out of the argument, he always causes a greater mess. We see Elkanah doing it here in the marrying of two women. You see, even our best apart from God, God's laws tends to chaos and destruction because they were living in a day not where men and women were doing that which was bad in their own eyes, but they were living in a day where every man was doing what was good in their own eyes. And yet it was still chaos and destruction. And even when God is not recognized, even when God is not acknowledged, he is still at work. You know, we we see this picture here, and what we're going to see is we're going to see wicked men doing wicked things. If you were to read just a few chapters ahead, you're going to find that Eli's sons are living in total debauchery. They're stealing from the people of God. There's immorality running rampant. It's a vile and wicked time. And yet, even though the priests of God are not even recognizing what God is doing, God is still moving his plan forward. You see, God is looking for someone even today who will be weak enough to let him work. Not strong. He's not looking for strength. God has all the strength. He's not looking for attractive. He's not looking for talented. He's not looking for able. He's looking for someone who is humble and surrendered. Someone who would pour out their soul, who would face ridicule with grace, face disappointment uh, without despair, face misunderstanding uh, without bitterness, 
and ultimately believe in God who can. A resting in God. We see Hannah's example here, her patience, her faith, her meekness, resting in God. So as I think of mothers this morning, when I think of the impact that mothers have, I would say there's probably a universal thing that mothers deal with. And as I said, I've had the experience of growing up with a godly mom and my beautiful wife being the mother she is to my children and so thankful for her. But if I could just give some general counsel this morning on the word of God and the life of Hannah, I would say, number one, stop comparing yourself. Don't spend the crazy time that we do in our society of looking at the Facebook posts and the Instagram feeds and the Pinterest posts and trying to figure out how to make the world perfect. Because I promise you on the other end of that camera, it's not perfect. On the other end of that picture, it's not. You see, what our children need, what our nation needs, what our churches needs is not perfect moms. They don't need better you. They need you who is more in love with Jesus today than you were yesterday. You see, it is your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ that is going to make you what God intended you to be, to fill you with your whole, His Holy Spirit and not how well you can decorate. And so I would challenge you not to be so focused on that. You know, C.S. Lewis, he told an illustration of explaining salt to someone in the Eastern world who didn't use it. And they said, you're telling me that Americans salt all their food? And he said, yeah, well, we salt just about everything. And, you know, when we go get French fries, I salt my French fries and then I salt my ketchup to make sure I got enough salt on the whole thing. We salt everything. And someone thought, well, if you salt everything, does everything taste like salt then? And C.S. Lewis pointed out, he said, no, salt doesn't make everything taste like salt. It makes everything taste like what it was intended to taste like. It enhances the individual taste. And just the same way, the Holy Spirit doesn't make everyone act just alike, but the Holy Spirit works in you to make you behave the way God intended you to behave, to make you talented in the way God intended you to be talented. And it's the Holy Spirit that, that makes you what God made you to be and empowers you to be what God made you to be. So don't try to be like everyone else. Let me say number two, rest in the sovereign choices of God. Rest in the fact that God has given you the responsibility that you have. How many times do we hear, I just don't feel like I'm doing a good job. I feel like I'm coming short. I feel like I haven't measured up. But God has given you the responsibility and God has made you for the purpose. And so rest in the fact that God has made you. You are the most qualified person in the world to rear your children. Now rear them for the glory of God. Be the mother that God has given them. It is your responsibility with the home. Let me say this, rest in the sovereignty of God if God has withheld children. The grief is unbearable, I imagine, at times. The heartache can be very painful. But rest in the fact that God knows what he's doing. And understand that it is not uh, just this moment in time that we're measuring things by. But God has the whole picture in place. Walk with God. Love your family and understand that God is in control. Let me say number three, to all of our women, to all of our young ladies, don't let the twisted values of this world's system devalue the unique gift of motherhood. 
See it as a wonderful gift, a blessing. Not one great man has ever risen up without his story starting with a mother. Not one kingdom has ever been conquered without it being started with the story of a mother. I'm always amazed that when I read through 1st, 2nd Kings and Chronicles, every time a king comes to the throne, he'll say the king's name, whose mother was, and then it'll either say this, and he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, or it'll say, and he did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. But every time there's still a mention of the mother there, of the impact of that mother in the life of that child. Though the talents of women amaze me, there's no part of my world that has not been blessed by capable, talented women. And yet I believe the greatest gift that God gave is the gift of mothering to a woman. Dads don't have it. We can't do it. And even if God has not given you a biological child, you still have that gift to impact someone else. And so I would give you my last piece of counsel. Don't let, don't just mother your biological children, but reach out and disciple someone else as well. Pull in someone who may be fatherless or motherless. Pull in someone else whose mother may have gone prematurely. You see, God may not have given you your own children, but you can look for another to invest in. And when your children are gone, your work is not done. And then for all the rest of us, we'll never comprehend or be able to fully appreciate all that it means to be a mother. But we can take our cue from our Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ, even as he hung on the cross, he looked down from his cross and he took care of his mother. What a powerful illustration. The God of the universe hung on the cross and looked down and said, John, Take care of my mother. What a God. What a humble, humble Savior. And let me challenge us to do the same. Thank you, mothers, for being who you are. Thank you for your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you this morning to continue what God has called you to do. God's made you to be who you are. Trust him as you walk in it. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for another Sunday together. Lord, these are not the circumstances we would have chosen, but Lord, as the admonition of the text this morning, we will rest in your sovereign plan and understand that you are still God. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just bless what has been said today, be an encouragement to our moms everywhere. Lord, may they be strengthened, may they be encouraged, and Lord, we just praise you that you'll use us for your glory this morning. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen. God bless you.